AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. On the phone, I have Sam Iliopoulos. Sam, did I get your name right this time? Yes, sir, you did. And you're running for the Laramie County Commission, is that right? That is correct, yes, sir. Now, you announced this past week, I guess, the uh, the obvious question on everybody's mind is, why jump in the race so early? That's 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 a great question and, and an easy one to answer. What I discovered with my last campaign, Doug, which which was my first and only campaign, is uh, especially going door to door, is that we have a need for voter education in the county, and that's why I'm starting early. I need to uh, to, to push that, push the voter education, and to be completely honest with you, I need to do a little bit of SAM education as well. Um, you know, I'm going to immerse myself more in, in in Laramie County, all the events, not necessarily even politics, just Everything in Laramie County from here on out, you're going to see my face. So, uh, a little training for me, a little training for the, uh, or a little uh, education rather for the voters. It, it, it's a big deal. It was, it was, it was quite eye-opening to say the least. So that's that's why I thought, hey, let's get a, get, get an early start on this. What did you learn from your first run for the Laramie County Commission? Well, I learned a lot of things. I learned that uh, sometimes people vote based on a colorful sign. I learned that that sometimes people vote because a family member tells them to vote. Um, people vote because it says Republican or Democrat next to their name. You know, that's that's great. I'm glad people are voting. That's that's You should exercise your right to vote, but you should learn about what, what the issues are, how the candidates uh, are, what kind of people they are, what they represent. Uh, again, right back to voter education. I'm really pushing for that this time around. Now, Sam, uh, you have run before, but not everybody may know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a local businessman, and, and your family has an interesting story as well. Tell us about that. Uh, uh, yes, sir, they do. My, uh, my parents are immigrants from Greece. They came over legally, uh, went to the entire naturalization process. I'm, I'm very familiar with that. My dad was a small child um, when not, the Nazi soldiers invaded his village in Greece. He watched his parents get killed, and he was kind of on his own after that. Uh, somehow in the process, he he learned about the uh, uh, old red, white, and blue, and that's kind of what guided his journey. Got us to got him to the states, went back, married my mother, got her to the states, and uh, and the rest is history. Just just so I can do things like this, just so I can be a businessman, just so I can I can uh, have a say and a voice in politics. Um, uh, he went through a lot, and I've learned a lot, and and I know we have rights that he that he worked really hard to get here for, and I hate to see them you know, getting pushed aside and, and people just disregarding them. Now, you're also a successful local businessman, is that right? Well, um, I am, yes. <laughs> Hard to call yourself successful sometimes, but yes, sir, I am. What, uh, what have you learned from the business world, if anything, that you would apply on the Laramie County Commission? Well, you know, the, the big thing is with, with clients and, and guardians and, and, and just people you deal with in business, it's no different than dealing with uh, with your voters and, and people in the community. You gotta you gotta learn how to get along with everybody. You've got to listen to everybody's opinion, um, and you gotta you gotta be fair in your decisions. You know, even even if sometimes they're not a hundred percent in line with your own beliefs, you gotta do what's best for whatever it is that you're working for. In this case, it would be Laramie County. Now, Sam, it's quite common to hear political candidates say that if I'm elected. I'll, uh, I'll run my office like a business. A, do you subscribe to that? And B, if you, if you do, what does that mean for you? I do. Not, not necessarily 100%. It's, 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 it is like a business uh, as far as management. 
people management, making decisions. Um, I do think businessmen end up being uh, pretty pretty decent politicians most of the time. Uh, but you also have to remember that it isn't actually a business. I mean, it is and it isn't. So you, that, that human factor, uh, it, it's different. You know, people have opinions that, that are strong, and you, again, you gotta listen. So, so yes, businessman, a businessman or woman will make a great politician. It is a business. I mean, running the city, uh, making those kind of decisions for sure. But you got to back up a little bit and, and remember that that it, it isn't a hundred percent of business either. So listen to your people. Always listen to your people. Now there are three incumbents uh, who potentially could be on the ballot. We don't know if any or all of them will run again. Is, is it? And, and they're all uh, well. Gunnar Malm is one. Uh, Linda Heath and also Troy Thompson, I believe, are all on the ballot. Gunnar, I think, is a one-term uh, commissioner. I believe the other two are long-time commissioners. Is it hard to run against an incumbent in a county commission race? It is. It's, it's very difficult. Um, and, and again, it goes back to that voter education. I, I discovered that uh, with, with my last campaign. You know, people have, have opinions, but when it comes down to it, I think what happens, and I'm just speculating on my part, but I think people just, they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. Um, these commissioners have been have been plugging along all along, and it's just it's just easier to keep them there because, you know, what the, the new guy says he's going to do this, but what's he really going to do? So let's just let's just keep the incumbents in. So it is it always it is always difficult to uh, to unseat an incumbent. It, it certainly is. What do you see as the top three issues in the Laramie County Commission race in twenty twenty two? Looking at well, obviously COVID is, is is a big issue, and and what it did to our budget, and what it did to our city. Um, you know that wasn't anybody's fault, obviously, but but that's that's going to go into 2022 for sure uh we're not even we're, i mean we're getting a little bit past it but but not really so budget 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 for sure um and we talked in the past about bringing uh, uh bringing more business bringing more income bringing more things like that more jobs into uh, laramie county obviously after covid that, that becomes a whole nother issue in, in and of itself so uh, those two for sure you asked me for three you know there's a lot of things that that I have pet projects on uh, Thomas Heights. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff. Uh, there's been some decisions made that I don't fully understand, and that's why I want to get myself educated. Because when when the answer from the commission is, "Well, we can't do anything about this," you know, maybe that's the truth, Doug. But make me understand why you can't do anything about this. No, of course. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, because people are suffering. You know, in some instances. Thomas Heights being a, a perfect example of it. Anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Tell us about Thomas Heights. You brought that, that that brought that up. If I could talk today, that's been a thorny situation for some time. Nobody really seems to have a solution. What's your take on it? Well, I brought it up because it. it, it I took a tour. You know, you actually asked me about it the last time I was on your show. Right. So I went out there and took a. I took a tour with some of the locals, uh, specifically a couple folks that have properties across the street. You know, across college there. And it just, it just, it was shocking. It blew my mind. You know, property surrounded by, by sandbags. Um, one gentleman, his entire retirement plan was to sell his property and, and move to where his, cho- his grown children are. He retired. This started. He can't sell the property. It's not worth anything because it floods. Uh, again, the call to the commission is, uh, the answer rather after the call to the commission are, well, we can't do anything about this. I've heard the hearsay. I've heard the rumors, but if you really can't do anything about it again i need to understand why but i also know that some of it has some truth i mean why is guardian still developing uh there's so much involved right there there's so much involved in the and and it it is a pet project of mine for sure is there anything we can do going forward in terms of regulation or anything else to prevent 
more Thomas Heights situations from uh, from occurring in our county. Yeah, absolutely. We can't let uh, you know the developers get away with with subpar developments like that. Uh, I, I mean, Thomas Heights itself is great. It's pretty. It's it's all those things, but it never took into account all the neighbors and all the surrounding properties. So. Uh, I'm not a regulation guy. I don't think more rules are always the answer. But in situations like this, uh, something something like that should have been written down. Yes. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Laramie County Commission candidate Sam Eliopoulos. Uh, Sam, as, as as you're well aware, you mentioned COVID a couple times. Uh, we had a mask mandate uh, that was um, implemented here locally. We did have a couple of commissioners. Um, in fact, I believe it's two of the commissioners on the ballot next year who did who did speak out on that. Now, I realize the mask mandate's not directly under the purview of the county commission. However, it is the health board. Uh, you appoint folks to the uh, to the health board. What are your thoughts on the way that whole thing was handled? Happy, unhappy, mixed feelings? How do you come down on that? I kind of have mixed feelings. I mean, I have my personal feelings. Uh, you know, I wasn't uh, <clears throat> I wasn't a mask wearer myself, and I've done research on both sides. And the, you know, the, the, I 100 percent believe they made a decision based on trying to help the, the county. I, I do believe that. Um, I think it went on maybe a little bit too long, and I think um, maybe not a lot of people on the other side were were heard. Their voices weren't heard. So it, I think it could have been handled a little bit better. Um, I, I'm really of the belief if you want to wear a mask, wear one. If you don't, you don't. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a free country, so you need to do what's best for yourself. Do you feel that the director and those decisions need to have more input from the county commission or no? Um, uh, yes. They need to have, uh, and, and in turn, from, from the public itself. I mean, that we've been through some school board meetings and some other uh, some other meetings. I know you didn't specifically ask about that, but there are people that just aren't being listened to. It's, it's our way or the highway, and uh, and uh, that's the exact opposite of what I'm preaching here. I mean, you got you need to listen to everybody. So, including the county commission, they should have more, especially with city county health, they should definitely have more input on that. Okay, I'm speaking with Laramie County Commission candidate Sam Eliopoulos. By the way, if you have any questions or comments, we do have an open phone line at 632-3323. So if you have anything in regard to uh, the county, local politics, local government, the budget, anything like that on your mind, feel free to give us a call. Um, Sam, you know, it, it's always a little bit of a gray area between the city and county. I know in the past, at times, the two entities, and I'm speaking of the City of Shine here, of course, and Laramie County Commission, haven't always gotten along. They haven't always gotten, they haven't always seen eye to eye. What are your thoughts on that situation? Well, I, I agree with you, and that's where the, uh, that's where the businessman in me comes in, because, and, and I don't know what the solution to that is right off, but you gotta, you gotta play ball. You gotta, you gotta get along with everybody, so... In order to benefit the county, those two entities must get along. Obviously, that's what you just said. So, um, you know, that's what I'm going to strive to do. That's that's a mission of mine for sure. Let's talk about the budget. You mentioned that repeatedly in the, in the start of our program. Um, things are still a little tight when setting the budget. What would your priorities be? Well, we need to stop taking money away from uh, from those at risk. Uh, you know, every time we have any kind of budgetary issue. Uh, and I may be a little bit biased on this since since we deal with the developmentally disabled in my business, but anytime we have any kind of um, a budgetary issue, we always take away from from the most those most in need, the elderly, the disabled. Uh, 
you know, they've got to be a priority, man. Those those people, you know, they don't have much money to begin with. Um, they need care. They need help or assistance. They're they're, are you know that, that that's what we're here for is, is to assist. So, so that's the first thing. But but it's a tough area, Doug, because you know COVID. I mean, COVID was devastating, and we stayed close for too long, in my opinion. Um, so we got to we got to prioritize getting uh, getting everybody back open. We got to prioritize getting that income flowing for the local businesses. Uh, you know, Walmart and those kind of places they're going to be fine. But but mom and pop businesses we got to we got to we got to do what we can to get them back on track. Sam, as you know, we have I don't know how many thousand miles of roads in this county. I know it's a lot. Um, how are we doing on the roads, and what are your thoughts on that subject? Well, we do have a lot of roads. You know, there's a lot of complaints about potholes, especially right in the city. Uh, uh, heck, I've, I've complained myself, but you know, the money's got to go. The money's got to go where it needs to go right now, and that's supporting uh, the local businesses and and getting us past the COVID. But I think we're doing a fair job with the roads. Uh, I know people will disagree with me, but I think we're doing a pretty fair job. What did you think of the snow plan during the recent huge storm we had? Did they do a good job given the resources they have, or would you like to see some things handled differently? I think they did a great job. And again, I may not have the popular opinion here because I did some some uh, some searching on Facebook and whatever, and people complained. You thought it was a lot of snow, Doug. It was a ton of snow, and you know, only so many people. They asked for volunteers. We had people out there on snowmobiles. I think they did a fantastic job, all things considered. Uh, the complaint is that they knew ahead of time that it was coming. Um, and they could have been more prepared, but m- my question in return is, well, well, how so? I mean, they did they did great. They, they really did. Again, back to the budget. When cuts need to be made, do you have ideas where they could be made? Put you on the spot here. You are putting me on the spot because <laughs> I don't want anybody cut. I don't, and I'm not even going to, I can't even answer that question, Doug, right now. I, I Gosh, nobody wants to answer that question. You did put me on the spot. You can't. You just can't cut budget. Every, everything is needed. But, you know, our, uh, oh, this is going to be an unpopular opinion as well, but our, uh, uh, you know, we're supporting, we send a lot of money to UW. We're supporting that, the education system. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of money going in, in the places that it shouldn't be. And I, I know you can tell I hesitate to answer that. It's just, it's a tough question. No, nobody really ever wants to answer that because we don't want to cut the budget. We just don't. Um, and that's kind of where I'm going to leave it, I guess. Well, and it's it's my job to ask hard questions. That's a question I'll be asking every candidate, and, and it's a, it's a tough situation. It's easy, uh, it, it's easy for all of us to sit out and complain about what government does. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you folks yeah. are in a position of making some hard decisions that people aren't going to like, um, and that's um, that goes with the territory. Well, but it's not always fun. It, it isn't, and that's what I always I always ask people as well when they complain. I say I I ask them what they would do better. When you when you're when you're put on the spot like you just put me on the spot and you have to stop and think about it, you're right. I mean, it has to be done. So we're not asking you to like it, but you know what can you do? Okay, I'm speaking with Laramie County Commission candidate Sam Iliopoulos. Sam, in 2020, as you know, uh, political campaigning, going door to door, and that kind of thing, kind of uh, well, kind of went out the window. You couldn't do it anymore. Uh, we're we're still ahead of the real political campaign next year. But it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, are you, are you going to go door to door? Is that is that going to be an option? Do you think you can still have a lot of personal contact, or we're going to have to wait and see? Or what do you think? 
Well, I, I'm hoping. I mean, door to door was it's it's huge. That's how you meet people. That's how you get your uh, message out there. That's how they get to know you. And and I was lucky uh, with my my campaign because I was just you know it was pre COVID. It was right before COVID. So, um, that would just be horrible if we couldn't do that. My plan is to do that. Hopefully, by that point, it's okay. I think that there's still going to be a large number of people that are going to be hesitant to talk to you at their door. Um, so probably you're going to see me at a lot more uh, events, a lot more barbecues that I'm hosting, a lot more uh, meet and greets uh, to make up for the fact that I'm not probably going to be able to go door to door. I'm hoping I do. I'm hoping we're okay by then, but I'm planning if we aren't. Sam, somebody messaged me a question here. Do you know the difference between state, city, and county governments? Uh, state, city, and county governments. Uh, yes, I do. I did take a civics class. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you draw the line on duties? How do you how do you see the? Let me put it a different way. What do you see as the primary responsibility of county government? Well, county works a lot more on infrastructure, um, and, and that should be their priority is infrastructure, uh, and, and then and then trickling down from there. I mean, we need to get. You mentioned the roads earlier. That's that's definitely a county issue. Um, and with us, with the commission, especially city county health, you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, it should be a priority, and then it breaks down into, um, oops. Hello? Hello? Sam, are you there? Well, I think we lost the call. Sam, if you're if you're listening, call me back, uh, 632 uh, again. I think we lost the call somehow. So, in any case, chatting with Laramie County Commission candidate Sam Iliopoulos, uh, we have the other side of the bottom of the hour break. Uh, Marissa Joyce Selvig, uh, that is a recorded interview that I, inter- I recorded on uh, Thursday uh, where she's running for Wyoming's lone congressional seat. That's the one interview we're doing today where you won't be able to call in and uh, ask questions because it is pre-recorded. Uh, but, of course, a lot of people jumping into Wyoming's congressional race already, running for Congress, uh, Wyoming's lone congressional seat. Um, Liz Cheney has not specifically said if she will run again. Uh, I think most people sort of think that she will, but she hasn't announced that. We have had State Senator Anthony Bouchard has said he's running uh, for right here in Laramie County. And by the way, he's speaking at an event in Florida today. Uh, Sam, if you're listening, give me a call back here and we'll finish. We've still got a few minutes left if, if you, uh, if you, uh, would care to call back and we'll wrap up the interview. But anyway, looking ahead, uh, Anthony Bouchard has declared, uh, also having declared is Representative, uh, Chuck Gray. And, uh, Chuck, of course, is a, uh, uh, state representative from Natrona County, and uh, he's in the race. Marissa Joyce Selvig, uh, the candidate we'll hear at uh, the other side of the bottom of the hour, is uh, actually from uh, Fremont County, and uh, she is uh, the former mayor of Pavilion. She's also a declared candidate. We're getting a, a lot of uh, candidates who jumped in the race early for that uh uh, congressional seat in Wyoming, and uh, we'll hear what she has to say. And of course, we'll do open. Uh, we have an open invitation on this show to all candidates, and certainly, I'd like in the future to to have uh, either uh, uh, well any candidate, certainly Congresswoman Cheney or any of the other candidates, uh, State Senator Bouchard, we would like to have on, uh, Representative Gray, anybody else running. We, we basically like to give every, you know, if you're running for office, get in touch with me. We will put you on the air.
and uh, that's just the way it works. Of course, we're well out in front of the uh, campaign season now, but uh, it's not too early if you're announcing. people. Hey, if people are out there campaigning early this year. I don't know if that's uh, because of the, uh, the, the COVID situation. I think, in, I think in terms of the congressional race, I, I think it's uh, going back to uh, trying to get out there and get some fundraising early, uh, maybe get some, um, get some uh, endorsements, particularly the endorsement of former President Trump. Now, I think it's pretty clear he's probably not going to endorse Liz Cheney, but the challengers would all like to, uh, to hear that uh, endorsement come their way, and that's one reason they're in early. Uh, also, fundraising anymore, it seems like political campaigns, and we're talking about federal office at least, uh, political campaigns don't have a uh, an off switch. Pretty much, they start and they and they. You know, we're already hearing talk about the uh, presidential race in twenty twenty four. We're we're seeing people going out and campaigning already. Maybe not seriously. Maybe not. Um, you know, really saying I'm in the race. Uh, but you see that at the federal level now with Liz Cheney. A lot of it has to do with her impeachment vote. Uh, that did uh, tee some people off. Uh, they announced their running. And um, so there's already a bunch of candidates in the race now for that seat. And we'll hear from one of them uh, the other side of the uh, bottom of the hour break. So that's coming up here just ahead. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. And uh, you're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. Good to have you along here on a Saturday. Of course, uh, we'll continue uh, with uh, more of our interviews uh, coming up just ahead. Marissa Joyce Selvig, top of the hour. We'll hear from uh, Matt Below from uh, Wi-Hi Federal Credit Union on financial literacy. Uh, it's Financial Literacy Month, and then coming up at 1235, we will hear from um, Greta Morrow with the uh, Day of Giving. So that's what's coming up here. Looks like we lost Sam's call, but uh, we'd like to thank him certainly for calling in, and we'll be uh, talking to political candidates as as we go through the uh, political season already, people jumping in the race. Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. Nice day outside. Enjoy it. We've got some more weather on the way beginning of next week. Nothing too uh, too severe, certainly, but uh, we'll see some rain and some snow. Actually, we need it. Uh, meteorologist Don Day said that May will be critical in terms of ending our drought, and uh, we need a wetter-than-usual May. May is usually our wettest month, uh, but we need a wetter-than-normal May to uh, to hopefully uh, remedy the fact that we're in a drought that if we don't get a wet May, it could, it could last well into next year. So in any case, I'd like to thank Sam Iliopoulos for calling in this hour. We did uh, lose the tail end of his call there, but I think you got a pretty good feeling on, on some of his stands on the issues, and we'll probably be talking to Sam again in the future as well as other candidates. Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, AM 650 KGAB. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. We have a news and information break just ahead. Thank you for joining us. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program, and we'll hear from Marissa Selvig, candidate for Congress. That's next on AM 650 KGAB. 
AM 650 KGAB, Sammy Eliopoulos did message me and asked me to apologize to our listeners for losing the uh, tail end of that interview. We had some technical issues with his uh, phone. We lost the call, but I'm sure we'll be talking again in the future. And he did ask uh, ask me to apologize to our listeners for losing the end of that interview. I'd like to thank Sam for calling in. Of course, I'm sure we'll be talking again in the future. Here's another political candidate. This is an interview I recorded on Thursday. So this is the one interview we're doing today where you can't really call in and ask questions, but it's Marissa Joy Selvig, Republican candidate for Congress in Wyoming. This was an interview I recorded two days ago. Republican candidate for Wyoming's uh, lone U.S. Senate, uh, lone U.S. House seat, excuse me, uh, Marissa Joy Selvig. Good morning, Marissa. Good morning, Mr. Randall. How are you today? Doing pretty well. First of all, I'm not sure people uh, people in this part of the state know about you. Introduce yourself, if you would. Yes. Well, my name is Marissa Joy Selvig. I live over here in Riverton. Uh, I am a Christian, a wife, a mom, a small business owner, and I'm very excited to run for this office. Why are you running for Congress? Well, one of the reasons I'm running for Congress is to really help preserve the nation for our children and our grandchildren, um, as well as give the people of Wyoming a new option (laughs) of someone different to vote for, someone who um, will bring honesty, transparency, practical budgeting, and uh, virtuous principles back into government. Have you ever held elective office before? Yes, sir, I have. I used to be the mayor of Pavilion. Oh, okay. what, What did you learn from that experience that you could apply going forward, if anything? Well, a couple of things. One is working with 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 people. Um, I am a firm believer in real communication, and so in a tiny little town like Pavilion, um, there's always somebody going to be complaining, <laughs> and that you know is the same in every level of government. And so, it was really important for me to continue to listen, um, and not just listen to get an answer right a lot of people prepare their answer instead of listening to what the person is actually saying because everybody has a story and it's important to know where people are coming from when they're coming to you with their with their problem or with their um with their concern about what is happening in government so that was great um to work with all kinds of different people in pavilion as well as our little tiny budget um we had a very small budget in pavilion and every penny and nickel and dime mattered in that budget because we had to we had to keep it. And uh, as a budget hawk kind of a person, that is what I would like to bring to uh, to DC is some practical budgeting because, as you well know, the government spends trillions more than it takes in. <laughs> this morning, this morning I looked it up. This morning, the debt this morning was twenty eight trillion one hundred ninety six billion one hundred ninety million nine hundred thousand. That's just unbelievably unbelievable and unacceptable. Now, I, I actually heard an interview with, uh, who was it? I think it was Senator Barrasso. It could have been someone else. Uh, but this was just recently where they commented that 25% of the national debt that we've accumulated since 1776 has been accumulated over the past 12 months. What do you think yeah. about that? I think it's terrible. <laughs> I think it's terrible. And I, I, I get very upset that our legislators do not um have not thought ahead and have not thought about 
what is all of this extra spending going to do to the future generations? And, you know, as a mom who has four children, um, I, I don't want the economy to crash for them. And I would like them to live in a country that is as good as the one that I grew up in. And so I think that we've got to get people in office, you know, hopefully me, uh, who have a backbone and are not afraid to make the hard decisions that it's going to take to fix the budget. Let me uh, let me compare you to the other candidates in the race so far and just just uh, let us know how you would do things differently. First of all, the incumbent, Liz Cheney. If you were in office, mm -hmm. what would you do differently than Liz Cheney? Well, uh, I would put people above party, first of all. <laughs> I know that she is a she is a she has a high position in the Republican Party, which is great for her. Um, but I think that constituent communication is more important than than trying to just um, fight the Democrats. You know, there's more people in Wyoming than just Republicans. And although I am one, I think it's important to listen to everyone and to actually, you know, answer phone calls and have town halls with, with your constituents, um, which I haven't seen her do. I've never seen her in Riverton. Um, so uh, that's something that I would do differently than her. I want to communicate with the people of Wyoming on a regular basis. Uh, something else I would do differently than her is um, get our troops out of endless wars. I know that uh, she was one of the co-sponsors um, from the defense bill uh, in the last session to strip the ability of the president to get our troops out of Afghanistan. And um, I know that she has recently come out with some um, with a press release and an interview again about how uh, taking them out of, of there is uh, would be detrimental. And I disagree. How long are we going to shed the blood of our of our fellow citizens in, in a place that really you can't win that war? I mean, it's it's they're going to fight anyway. And do you know, I just have to say this, they are spending, let's see, where did I put this? They are spending $3 billion a year on the Afghanistan uh, Afghanistan Security Forces Fund in the budget. And that, I, I quote, from last year's budget, is to be used to provide assistance with the concurrence of the Secretary of State to the Security Forces of Afghanistan, including the provision of equipment, supplies, services, training, facility, and infrastructure repair, renovation, construction, and funding of the Afghani Army. And so I would like our troops to get out of there, and I would be an advocate for that. So those are two things that I would do differently than her. Um, I also would not have voted to impeach because I just thought that was not such a great decision. But most of the things that I disagree with her on are the budget and the troops and putting party above people. Okay, how about uh, State Senator Anthony Bouchard from here in Laramie County? He's been out working hard. He's uh, already buying political advertising. How would you do things differently than him if you were elected? Well, uh I have. I, I don't know too much about uh, Senator Bouchard as of yet. I I watch his uh, political advertisements. I have seen some of his town halls that he's given, and I got to give him credit. He's doing a really great job, and he really focuses well on the Second Amendment, which is an important issue. Um, but I care deeply about a lot of different issues. Um, for example, I have signed a pledge um, for. Uh, term limits that I will co-sponsor the term limit amendment that Senator Cruz um, uh, puts out every year uh, to do that in the Congress. Um, I also am a big advocate for the fair tax, 
Uh, I would love to see that kind of tax reform in um, proposed and passed in the legislature. They have they have uh, put it forth again. It's HR 25, and uh, I would be I have I have pledged to co-sponsor that with the Fair Tax Group here, um, and they're going to be doing an article about that soon. Um, but he is very conservative, as am I. But I, I believe that my, the way I approach things is a little different than him. He's very, he seems like an abrasive kind of a person, and that's not my personality. I'm not, I'm not so abrasive. How about Representative Chuck Gray, who's also in the race? How would you do things differently? You know, that is another, Chuck Gray is a newer candidate, uh, and he is one that I have not done as much research on. I know that he's very conservative, and he has uh, put forth a number of pro-life bills in the Wyoming legislature this year with, you know, kudos to him. That's really great. I am very pro-life, and I'm so thrilled that they passed some of those in Cheyenne this session. Um, And that he got the voter ID law passed here in Wyoming, which is great. I appreciate that. Uh, so I, because I haven't heard very much about how he would do things in Washington, I don't know how I would do uh, things differently than him. But once again, I would say that, you know, I'm not afraid to make the hard decisions when it comes to the budget, when it comes to communication with constituents, um, when it comes to communication across the aisle with Democrats, because I think that gridlock is something that we deal with a lot uh, in our federal government right now. And as much as people don't want to talk to the other side of the aisle, it's going to be so important that we do that because we've got to move the country forward uh, for the benefit of the American people. And so there has to be real debate and real legislation that happens. And that can't happen if all we're doing is fighting and not having real conversations about the issue. Okay, in case, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just telling our listeners that I'm speaking with Wyoming Republican congressional candidate uh, Marissa Joy Selvig. We're talking about her uh, candidacy for the 2022 uh, Wyoming congressional seat. Folks are really getting started early in this race. That seems unusual. Why did you jump in so early? Well, I jumped in early so I could take my time. I had originally thought about running a couple of years ago um, and just had, had thought that I would wait. But I just felt something shift uh, in July of this past year. And so I started thinking about it in July of 2020. And I was going to run anyway, (laughs) uh, even before Representative Cheney made the vote that made a lot of people upset about impeachment. Um, I had planned on running anyway. Uh, So the reason I uh, put my candidacy in early is so I wouldn't have to rush and that I could have time to meet people and talk to people and go around the state um, without uh, feeling stressed out, because I am a mom. <laughs> now, as I'm sure you know, former President Trump has uh, said that he'll be uh, endorsing somebody soon in this congressional race. We don't know who yet. Um, I know that Anthony Bouchard certainly has been uh, very avid in, in hoping for that endorsement. I would assume Chuck Gray also. Um, are you hoping for the endorsement? And if you don't get it, would that affect your campaign? You know, I I won't say whether I would look for that endorsement or not. Um, I think President Trump was an excellent president. Um, if he chose to endorse me, that would be great. If not, um, it would not deter the fact that I am that I am running for this office because I have a lot to offer the state of Wyoming, 
and um, I think that I'm the right candidate, whether Trump think, would think so or not. Uh, I often get ignored by some of the media because I'm not out there actively fundraising, um, asking for money from people, because I believe in asking for people's voice first. I, I, I am a grassroots kind of a candidate, and I think that word of mouth works. And I would like to try and prove that you can win an election without the most amount of money, kind of, just to kind of stick it to the big dogs. Because everybody has said, well, you're wasting your time if you're not raising a million dollars. And I say, you know what? Elections should not be run uh, and won on who raises the most money, but who would be the best representative for the people. So how do you visualize your campaign? Do you plan to drive around the state and talk to people in person or a lot of social media activity? Or have you have you thought about that yet? Or how do you, how do you visualize your campaign? Well, I have been campaigning since the 20th. Um, I have a YouTube channel that I started early uh, in January. And so I make posts on a weekly basis uh, about patriotism and practicality. Uh, that's called the Practical Patriots over there on YouTube. And uh, I have been putting out some Facebook ads. I have, uh, as well, um, I have been going around to a number of different places, at least here in my county to start out with, uh, talking to people face-to-face, -face because that's what I like. I like to meet people and have a real conversation with them. So that's my plan, is to drive all around the state. Um, I will probably be going to a couple uh, the county fairs. I'll be in Cheyenne on Saturday. Um, uh, for the uh, the Scott Pressler event that's being held by uh, the conservative corner down there. Um, so I'm excited to talk to people then and uh, I will be going to the Lincoln, uh, attending the Lincoln Day dinner um, here in Riverton and also the one in Warland and Ten Sleep in July. Um, they've asked me to come and introduce myself there. Um, and so that's the plan. I really want to have conversations with people because I think that's where politics ought to be. It ought to be constituent to constituent representative communication. Now, circling back around to what you said was one of your uh, primary issues, the budget and the budget deficit. Mm -hmm. how, can, how can we get caught up on this thing? We're so far in the hole. Um, can we cut our way out of it? Are we going to need new taxes? What, what, what's your vision for that? Well, my vision for that is kind of twofold. <laughs> One is cutting because there's so much spending that is ridiculous. I'm a big um, advocate for kicking K-12 back to the, back to the states. Uh, that would save us a bunch of money because there's $30 billion uh, that goes to the Department of Education every year. Um, in this last budget session, that's what they, that's what they allocated. Uh, in, it's HR 133, if anybody wants to go look that up, <laughs> from the last, set, last Congress, 116th Congress. But just things like that. And I mentioned in, I mentioned in an interview I had a while ago um, that we spend millions of dollars on saving elephants and saving gorillas and uh, the, saving marine turtles, like $18 million total for all of these animal conservation acts that we do. Well, you know, I think that there's cuts we can make in certain areas. Um, and one of those big cuts that we could make uh, is goes along to how we fund the government. Uh, like I said before, I'm a big advocate of the fair tax. Um, and the fair tax, have you ever heard of the fair tax? I have to confess, <laughs> I didn't want to admit it, but I don't know what that is. 
Well, good. I, I probably well, should. I, so I probably glad. should. But go I'm ahead. I'm so glad I can tell you that. <laughs> so the fair tax is uh, is a system that would re- would abolish the IRS. Hooray, right? Who, lo- who likes the IRS? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes the IRS. And um, the IRS, okay, just as an example of how much money we spend just for the IRS a year in the budget is $11 billion. $11 billion just on the IRS. So, I mean, think about that. Cut that out of the budget. Um, but if you pass the, the fair tax, which is HR 25 currently, um, what it does is it gets rid of all income taxes, capital gains taxes, self-employment taxes, um, payroll taxes. It gets rid of all those. So everybody gets to keep their whole paycheck. And what happens is that then there is a, um, there's a 23%, and it sounds a lot, but it really, it, it works out. Um, a 23% retail sales tax. It's not a value added. It's just at the retail sales uh, checkout, basically. And um, they say 23. Uh, they have. It's been well researched that 23 is what it is because most of the, most Americans fall into that 15% tax bracket, mm-hmm. and then we all pay 7% on our payroll taxes. So that's about 23. Um, and so we, as well, we all know that gov- that businesses just pass their tax on to us, the consumer, right? Okay. They do, yeah. And so the beauty of the fair tax is that we get to keep our money. And then uh, it cut, one of the things that they like to talk about in the fair tax organization is that it, it, it taxes all of that hidden money that uh, is not being taxed by people who are working under the table, by uh, corporations who are moving their assets overseas and getting around all the tax uh, loopholes and all that kind of stuff. It just gets rid of all that so that businesses uh, can, sorry, expand, they can, excuse me, sorry. They can expand, they can hire more people. um, And then some people who are against the fair tax say, well, how is that going to affect the poor? Because 23% on retail sales is a lot when you go to the grocery store and it's taxed at 23%. Right. Well, there's something in the fair tax called a prebate. And so what a prebate is, some people don't like this idea, but what it is, it is, and they take the poverty level calculation of what your expenditures would be which would include food, clothing, shelter, transportation, medical care, and so on, right? Right. And so they they calculate that according to um, the poverty level, and then they give you a monthly prebate based on what that would be. So it's kind of like your tax, it would be your tax deduction kind of a thing, but it's not a tax deduction. So for example, a two adult, two child household would uh, their annual prebate would be like $7,700 a year. So that would be approximately $648 per month. Right. And so that would, that $648 would cover the taxes for someone who lived at the poverty level. It would cover the taxes that they would pay. Now they would still obviously be paying for, um, paying for their necessities, but it, they wouldn't be paying for the taxes on it. So that's part of where it comes to the fairness. Everybody keeps their money, the prebate, uh, everybody gets a prebate. And then for those who spend more, this is where you get to control how much 
you pay in taxes by how much you spend on new products. Like if you want to buy a used car, uh, you wouldn't pay that 23% tax on a used car because that tax was already paid the first time on that car when it was new. Um, or if you're if you're buying a, or building a new house, right? Okay, so that way people who make more money, as we know, spend more money. And so it is kind of a progressive tax where the more you spend, the more you pay instead of taxing your income. So there would be no more income tax and only the retail sales tax. So that's just kind of it in a nutshell. You could check it out on uh, fairtax.org. Um, they have so much great information on there. And I, I wish more people knew about this. And so that's one of the things that I kind of want to work on is getting this um, out to more people so they can understand that it is a better system. And it will fund the government exactly the same and probably bring in more money. So it's not like the government's going to get less. It's going to get more. That, of course, will still leave us in a hole going forward, though. What else do we need to do? It will. Yeah. So, um, as I said before at the beginning of that of, of that conversation, is is cutting. I really do believe that we need to cut. Now, obviously, there's ways to do that. Um, I am a big fan of Rand Paul's penny plan, uh, where you cut two penny, where you cut a penny off of each dollar spent in each section of the budget. Now, personally, I don't think that's enough. I think that there's so much we can shave off in the budget with just cuts and just educating the people on how much we spend on things. I think if the American citizens knew how much money we were spending on X, Y, and Z, that they would say, why are we doing that? Or we, well, we would hope they would say, why are they doing that? <laughs> um, and so I think that educating the citizens on how much the government is spending because not enough people pay attention. Also, uh, you know, making cuts that are important or implementing a plan such as the penny plan, which probably would have to be more like a nickel plan now with all the new spending that they have that they have had cutting five cents off of every dollar uh, in the budget. So I think the, a combination of those things could help us get out of that hole. Marissa, we're down it's to going to take a lot of time, though. We're, we're down to about three minutes left. There's a whole bunch of other topics I could ask you about. We probably could have done a full hour, but I want to uh, toss it over to you and say, what would you like to tell our listeners in the last three minutes of this program that we haven't discussed? Well, all right. Well, the, what I would like to talk to the people about is um, bringing virtue back into government. Because I think one of the problems we have in government today is a lack of virtue. You know, what is the definition of virtue? Uh, it is strength, bravery, moral goodness and excellence, merit and potency and chastity and selflessness. And those are things that, that we don't really see in government anymore because people are so consumed with greed and power. And I would like to try, you know, it might sound pie in the sky, but I would like to try and bring virtue back into governance uh, so that people can trust what you say, you know, I'm a very trustworthy person and honest, and I would hope to be honest and transparent with the people of Wyoming in everything that I do, should I get. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station on the phone. I believe we have Matt Ballou, the chief financial officer with uh, YHI Federal Credit Union. Thank you for calling in, Mr. Blue. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for giving me a, an opportunity to join. Now, the topic today is financial literacy. April is Financial Literacy Month. First of all, when we're talking about financial literacy, 
What are the basics that everybody should know to be financially literate? You know, the, the basics, I, I like to say that there's three of them. People need to have a good understanding of their credit score and what shows up on a credit report. Uh, they need to have a good understanding of a, a budget and what plays into that. And then they need to know what those, those two items play as an impact when they're talking interest rates on loans and, and deposits. What are some of the big uh, misconceptions that people may have in, in regard to any of those three? Uh, you know, I'd say the, the biggest misconception is just that they feel that they don't have a, a shot at gaining the knowledge. Um, there's a, a lot of resources out there that can help you understand your credit report. And I think people feel that they, they, uh, they were dealt a certain hand in life or whatnot and that they can't get out of their, their current financial situation, and that just isn't true. You know, with uh, the right help from the right professionals, uh, people can make some big improvements in their financial situation. Well, and, and you can improve your credit, too. Um, I mean, there are things you can do to, to, to make your credit score a lot better. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Uh, you know, I, I like to say that a credit report is the same as a, as a resume, right? There's a, a history, and, and we all understand what a resume looks like. A credit report is the same thing. It's your financial resume. The past is behind us. We need to take steps to improve it going forward. Now, I've heard that people should check their credit reports regularly because there can be some bogus information on there. Is that true? Absolutely. Uh, in addition to, to identifying, you know, if, if you fall victim to some identity theft or whatnot, you know, checking that credit report will allow you to catch that sooner than later. Uh, but also, it's important for people just to understand where they are in their, their credit history um, you know, you're never going to be able to improve something if you don't know where you're currently at. And then, like I said, seek the advice of some professionals, uh, for example, over at YHI, that we can, we can review that credit report with you and, and try to give you some advice on how to improve the score. Now, obviously, I think most people would understand that, you know, to, to have a good credit report, you need to pay your bills on time. Is there more to it than that? There is. Um, <laughs> that's always the, the number one thing we say, though, right? It, it's never going to get better if you don't pay the bills on time. Uh, but there's a, a few other factors that go into it. You know, another big one that I think people have at least heard of, but maybe they don't know the specifics, is their credit utilization. And by that, you know, a great example is a, a credit card. Uh, maxing out credit cards or even running higher limits on those credit cards is going to have a negative impact on your score. And so paying down debt... Uh, not only does it show as an on-time payment, uh, but it really helps increase that utilization, which will boost your score. So should we pay, if possible, our, our entire credit card bill uh, in full every month, or is it better to carry a balance forward? You know, the, the honest answer is that if you have the ability to pay it off every month, absolutely do it. Um, what you're really looking for with a credit card is that reoccurring uh, payment history. So as long as you you know, you can fill up your, your vehicle with a tank of gas each month and pay it off or something. You know, it's a, a great way to continue the payment history on that card without running up a, a balance. Now, I, I do want to point out that having credit card debt by itself is not bad. Uh, it just, it's another item that, you know, we have to be responsible in how we spend our, our money and handle our finances, and, and credit cards are no different. Now, I've always heard that if you're in a situation with your credit card where you're just paying the minimum every month, that's not good. Is that right? Uh, yes, that is that is not good. You know, a lot of credit card statements on there it will it will show you what the minimum payment is and then how long it will take you to pay off that credit card if you only pay the minimum. 
Uh, and oftentimes you'll, you'll look at that and you know, you're looking 15 to 20 years before you can pay off that credit card, even if it's not a large balance. And the reason is, is that credit cards traditionally carry a pretty high interest rate. Mm-hmm. And so if you're only paying that minimum payment, you know, you're, you're scratching the surface and just getting rid of interest each month, but not really digging into the principal. And so it's important, you know, as, as consumers are looking for credit cards, that they do a little bit of homework, see what rates are out there and make sure that they're getting a, a card that fits their lifestyle. You know, if they're, if they're paying that credit card off every month, fantastic. Get a rewards card, get some benefit for using it. If they know they're going to carry a balance, find the, the credit card with the lowest interest rate so that, you know, even a minimum payment will, will hit a little bit more of that principal balance. Okay, I'm speaking with Matt Ballou of Hi Federal Credit Union. We're talking about financial literacy and specifically in regard to Financial Literacy Month. By the way, if you have any questions, we do have an open phone line at 632-3323. Matt, when I was a, a much younger man, and this is a page out of my own personal history, I went car shopping, and the comment I ran into at that time was, you don't have bad credit, you don't have any credit. That's almost worse than bad credit. Uh, first of all, is that worse than bad credit? And secondly, what should a person in that situation do? I'm going to say no. It is it is not worse than bad credit. And okay. I'll bring it I'll bring it back around to the resume example. You know, you you have somebody applying for a job and they want 10 years experience, and it's your first job. There there just is no history. There's nothing to prove uh, what you've done in the past. Same thing with a credit report. Uh, the good news is you can make a a big jump in the positive direction on a credit report. Uh, even even starting out fresh, and oftentimes, all you need is that that little help up. You know, so if you're looking for for buying a vehicle, and it's your first purchase, sometimes getting a co-borrower is all you need. And then, as, as we talked about, it's it's continuing to make the the on-time payments from that point forward. Uh, but there are other options. You know, a, a lot of financial institutions will will offer some sort of secured loan. Uh, that will, will get you a guaranteed loan at a low interest rate so that you can start to build that, that financial credit history and prepare yourself uh, so that when you go car shopping the next time, uh, you're not getting hit with those uh, insanely high interest rates. Should somebody in that situation do something to take out some kind of loan so they can establish a credit history then? I, I say absolutely. Um, and, and again, I, I, don't, uh, I don't say that in the, the sense that, boy, I wish everybody would have a loan, but it everybody needs that opportunity to prove their financial strength and their financial understanding um, when you when you take out that loan early on it allows you to build that credit before you need it uh, you know at that why high we're focusing on the the youth financial literacy because boy we believe that if people can get excited about their finances and start to understand them early on they can start building that resume before they you know they're they're in their their late teens or early 20s looking to buy that vehicle and and hitting roadblocks at that point. So for those of us with kids, what should we do to, uh, to teach them about financial literacy? Boy, the, the number one thing is to build some excitement around it. Um, I think uh, historically it's easy for families to, to not talk about finances, uh, whether it's, it's, you know, they're in a good position or bad. It's just something that a lot of people don't talk about, and I, I think we have to get over that. I think, you know, kids learn by watching what we as, as adults do, and we need to, to give them the example that we want them to live by. And so if you can build some excitement around it, you know, bring the kids into the credit union when you go to, to deposit a check or to talk about a loan. Let them see that the, the employees at financial institutions are there to help and, and to educate. And I, I think if we, can, if we can really instill that belief that finances are, 
are a problem to be solved like anything else in the world, uh, I, I think that's the, the biggest step in getting those kids in the right direction. Are there courses out there that young people can take? There are. There are. There are there's a lot of courses, and I know um, there's, a, there's a couple of elective courses in the high schools here in Cheyenne that, that kids can get into, but uh, even from a younger age, for example, on, on our website, whyhigh.org, there are some educational courses through a, a partnership we have with coffee. Uh, and the the idea is just to expose them to to the terms to the you know the kind of the basic math why it's better to pay three percent for an auto loan rather than ten percent you know that that basic stuff that again they just need to see and they need to have somebody walk them through it. Okay, I'm speaking with Matt Ballou of Waihai Federal Credit Union. You can probably hear the siren there in the background. Apologize for that. We are in downtown Cheyenne, and uh, sometimes these things happens, uh, happen. But I'm speaking with Matt Ballou of Waihai Federal Credit Union. Um, and we're talking about financial literacy. Matt, if you, uh, if, if you get into a situation where you get some negatives on your credit report, Let's say you get a repossession, for example. How long does it take to, to repair that problem? Or, or does it ever go away? It, it will go away. Um, you know, and, and I guess the, the, the one safe thing I can say is that if, if you wait long enough, uh, it'll for sure drop off. But we, we're big believers that people, gosh, life happens to people, right? And uh, the, the number one thing is to just take ownership of it and explain the situation and then let's not wait seven years for something to drop off let's start fixing your credit today um you know like i said if even if we do a, a small credit card just so that we can have that payment history showing that you're you're paying your your monthly payment on time that kind of stuff will increase a credit score much quicker than uh just sort of waiting for stuff to drop off so um you know and, and I, I, I can only speak for why high, but I want to say all financial institutions will look at uh, a member's situation and, and, you know, look at it as <laughs> as a whole rather than, boy, you had one bad ding on your credit. You know, what puts you in that situation? Um, with, uh, you know, a recent example of COVID, people, you know, you lose your job and you're unable to make payments. That's understandable. You're not unique in that situation. Let's fix it. Let's work together and improve it. Let's not... Let's not dwell on the past or dwell on the negativity. Let's let's focus on going forward and getting you in the best financial situation we can get you in. So you're not branded with the scarlet letter for life, then? Absolutely not. No, no. I, I think the uh, the scarlet letter is is only as bad as we allow it to, to remain. So if I'm hearing you uh, hearing you correctly here, and correct me if I'm wrong. First of all, it sounds like everybody should get a credit card if they possibly can. Is that accurate? I think everybody should, really for just a couple reasons. One, it allows a simple way to have a monthly on-time payment to build your credit score. And two, it helps with the unknowns in the world. Uh, if something happens, you know, if you, you pop a tire and you've got to go get a new tire or whatnot, sometimes we don't have the money set aside in savings that we would like to, and that credit card allows us to, to continue on with our day with the ability to pay that down. Um, that being said, I, I do want to put a footnote in that the understanding of budget and building that savings is, is just as important as getting that credit card. Well, let, let's talk about budgeting because I think particularly a lot of people starting out in life, they, they just don't do it. Um, if, if you're 18 years old and you're sitting down to devise your first budget, what should you do? <clears throat> Boy, that, that's a million-dollar question. It really is as simple as understanding where your money goes. 
far too often as we're sitting with our members and we're trying to work on their budget and we, we say, you know, you, you tell me you're out of money at the end of the month, where did it go? And the answer is consistently, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it went. Uh, so that's the number one step is just being able to write down where we're spending the money. You know, it's as simple as, well, you get a spiral notebook and every time you buy something, write it down in the notebook. And then at the end of the month, you can go back through and, and take a look and see where your money went. But until we know where we're spending the money, we'll never be able to make adjustments to, to change our behavior, put money in savings, things of that nature. How much should we be saving every month? I, and I know you can't give me a dollar figure because people's incomes are different, but what are, what are some maybe rules of thumb on percentages or that sort of thing? Uh, I mean, I would say the rule of thumb is as much as you can. Okay. Um, and you're, you're right in that you can't, you can't put a dollar amount because everybody's situation is different. But I, I think where people run into trouble with creating a savings is we all have the end goal in mind. Boy, I want, I want 5000 I want 10000 I want 50000 in savings. And we look at how much we can save per paycheck and we realize, goodness, it's going to take me a lifetime to get to that savings goal, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, putting putting ten dollars, putting fifty dollars into your savings account every paycheck, you know, in a matter of months, you're going to have hundreds saved up that you never had before. And then we start to to have that emotional response to finances, which it feels good. You know, we we feel like we're succeeding when we have hundreds in our account, and so we keep going. And now we hit a thousand dollars, and that's amazing. Um, it, it's it's just starting. I think that's the most important part: is is focus less on how much it is and start to train the behavior. Now, my guess would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my guess would be back on the budgeting that people would look at their budget and, wow, I'm spending that much on fast food or whatever. I can't believe it. Is that true, that people are surprised by some of their expenditures? Uh, almost unanimously, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, even even people who feel they have a pretty good handle on their budget, boy, if you start tracking everything that you really spend money on, uh, you start to see some, some pretty large numbers in buckets that you weren't expecting. Absolutely. Now, Matt, I've also heard that uh, most people, I won't, I won't say most, maybe you can answer that question, but many people, um, even people with pretty good incomes, are not prepared for a financial disaster, and maybe they're one paycheck away from just some really serious problems. Is that true? Uh, yes, that is absolutely true. And in fact, there's, a, there's a, a wide variety of statistics out there highlighting that I think we can say the majority of Americans are not prepared for a financial disaster, uh, which is is terrifying, right? Uh, If people are living paycheck to paycheck, and like you said, it's even people who feel that they have pretty good income, but boy, you you miss a paycheck or two, and and, uh, all those credit cards that you have for emergencies are are racked up, you're unable to make payments. Uh, It's a big deal. Yeah, that's that's a widespread issue. How can we avoid being in that situation? You know, I, I, I don't want to make it sound simple, but the, the core is we have to just train that behavior. We have to understand that, uh, you know, maybe we have to skip a few of those, those fast food meals this month so that I can put those $50 into savings. Um, you know, another piece that a lot of people will, will overlook or, or choose to bypass is purchasing some sort of, of insurance. And I'll, I'll use a, a real basic example, you know, putting extended warranties on the vehicles. A lot of people will be looking at that monthly payment and say, hey, I want to stay you know, below $400 a month, for example, on my payment. And, and we, we said, oh, that's fantastic. I can get you at $430, and you're going to have an extended warranty. 
and they, they see that additional thirty dollars, and it, it's it's a it's a turnoff for them. Uh, when really, you know, which is easier? Is it easier to budget an additional thirty dollars a month consistently, or to have that that random auto repair for you know five hundred, a thousand, fifteen hundred that you weren't expecting? And some of those repairs can run a lot more than that. I mean, some of this stuff gets expensive. Absolutely. Yep. So, so what you're saying then, Matt, is generally it's a good idea to spend the extra few bucks for insurance and be prepared for disaster. Is that true? Uh, I, <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Uh, you know, and th- there's always exceptions to the rule where, where people, uh, you know, maybe they, they buy a new vehicle and it has a manufacturer warranty or whatnot. But I think it's just it's much simpler. You know, we're, we're all people with busy lives and whatnot. And, you know, we <laughs> I don't feel like any of us has weeks at a time to to devote to creating this in-depth financial plan that we can follow. And so let's make it easier on ourselves. Let's pay a couple of extra bucks a month, and then we don't have to worry about those unexpected repairs. Should everybody have $1,000 in their savings account? Uh, I I would say yes. And again, it goes back to it's relative based on how much income they make. But really, the the soft rule of thumb is that the target amount in savings should be equivalent to six months of your wages, Okay, uh, which, which is a lot. Uh, but that's that's kind of the target that we're all working towards. So a thousand dollars would actually be quite low then. It it would, you know. But like I said, it's it's about starting that behavior. A thousand is better than five hundred, which is better than zero. Um, but is a thousand the the end goal? No, I, I think I think everybody should try to have as much in savings as possible to to cover those unexpected costs that come up in life. Okay, I'm speaking with Matt Ballou with Wi-Hi Federal Credit Union. He's the chief financial officer. Uh, Matt, you and I both know that a lot of people, when you broach this whole subject, they find it scary, they find it intimidating. Uh, it sounds like high finance, and it's way too complicated, and there's way too many mistakes to be made, and boy, I just don't want to deal with it. Is that something you run into a lot? A lot. Absolutely it is. You know, and, and I... I always say financials are easy, financials are logical, but finances, 100% emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and using the example of savings again, it, it feels good when I hit that $500 mark and so I want to continue. But uh, with finances being as emotional as they are, a lot of people, uh, they do struggle to ask for help. Um, you know, it, it's something we all kind of grow up learning that, uh, boy, once you're an adult, you're going to have your finances figured out, and if you don't, it's bad on you. But you know, I, that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, we all have areas in life that we're experts on, and, and finances is probably not one for that many people, right? So you, you find a partner that you trust, like Hi, where you can come in and say, look, I, I need some help making a budget. I don't know where to start. I need some help figuring out how to build a savings. I don't get it. Or, you know, I'm, I'm paying too high of an interest rate on an auto loan. What do I do? Um, now, none of us expect to... Uh, to be experts on medical, right? We go to the doctor. It's the same thing with finances. Matt, what, what would you say to people, and, and we kind of touched on this earlier, and there are a lot of people, sadly, in this situation right now. Uh, they've been devastated by COVID. They lost their jobs. They've got me- medical bills way beyond what they can pay, and, and and they're just in a tough situation, and their credit is a mess. What would you say to those folks? Start simple. Um you know, the, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And a, a big financial situation like that is absolutely an elephant. It's hard. Start simple. Uh, start with a budget. Figure out how much money you have coming in, how much you have going out, and where it's going. Once you can get your hands on that, uh, then you can start to make some adjustments. 
Uh, and, and don't hesitate to head into your financial institution and just say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for some advice. What are some, some changes I can make on my credit to, to update this? Or can you work with me? I can't make my loan payment this month. Can we skip it? You know, we're, we're here to help. We're not here to, to lay blame or whatnot. Uh, I mean, our job is to make sure people are financially successful. Matt, what are some common questions that people ask you that might be relevant to financial literacy, things we haven't covered, if anything? Uh, <laughs> well, that's a, that's a tough one. The, the basics really are, you know, credit and, and budget. Um, the, the one that people don't typically ask but that we can get to through conversation is the impact of interest. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everybody knows you want the lowest interest rate on a, on a car loan that you can get. Um, I mean, that everybody agrees on that, but, but what is low, right? Is, is 10% low? Is 5% low? And when you can sit with somebody and show them the math on the difference in, in a monthly payment, you know, between a 4% interest rate and a 10% interest rate, but then also the amount of interest that is paid over the life of that loan, uh, it's an eye-opener. And so I, I would say that's maybe one of the, the most common things. Like I said, people don't come in uh, knowing that, hey, I, I don't know this math and I want you to show me, but, uh, yeah, they, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a big shocker once you can show them the numbers. Matt, when people are choosing a, a banking or, or a credit union, what should a, bank, a bank or credit union, I should say, what should they be thinking about? Uh, I think they should be thinking about what they're looking for. Um, you know, every, every institution is going to have their own rules that they have to follow and whatnot, but, you know, look for things like what, what kind of fees am I going to get for, for opening this account or for utilizing this account or, or maybe not utilizing this account? You know, what fees are associated with banking in this, this institution? Uh, what is the what is the institution going to do for that that member or that customer? You know, will they earn rewards on a credit card, or, or will their checking account pay them a, a dividend rate? Or, um, yeah, what are the what are the uh, rates on auto loans? Um, that kind of stuff. That it does vary institution to institution. I, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a one size fits all when it comes to financial products. And so, I would say really do the homework and see what what benefit in those products is going to be most impactful to that member as they're shopping. By the way, what's the difference between a bank and credit union? Uh, A bank and a credit union, a a credit union is a not-for-profit institution that is owned by the membership. And so when a a credit union, for example, if they have a a great financial year, they're able to turn around and give that benefit back to the members, typically with lower rates on loans or higher rates on deposits. Um, you know that the institution is really there for the membership. They're the they're the owners. They're the reason we do what we do, and, and our job is to make sure that they are successful. Do you have to uh, work for a certain business, or let, let me put it this way: How do you join a credit union? Is everybody eligible? That, that is a great question. Uh, it it does vary per credit union. Some credit unions are set up where you have to belong to a certain group or, or work for a certain company. Uh, I can tell you that why high. Uh, we're a state chartered credit union. So if you if you live, work, you know, worship, attend school or whatnot in the state of Wyoming, you are eligible for membership, and you can uh, start to to get all the benefits that come with being a member at Y High. Okay, we're about out of time. I've been speaking with Matt Ballou, Chief Financial Officer at Y High Federal Credit Union. We've been talking about financial literacy. April is Financial Literacy Month. Uh, Matt, we have about 90 seconds left. Any last thoughts for our listeners that you'd like to leave people with today? 
You know, I, I would say the the takeaway is just to to understand that everybody's in the the same boat, right? There are things that we don't know about, and and here at Y High, our job really is to help people achieve financial success. And if if that's something that we can do, you know, if we can open an account and do a, a free credit report review with you and try to find ways to either save you money or, or to earn you more money, I mean, that really is our job and, and what we come to work for every day. So, uh, boy, if I can leave anything, it's it's let the people at the at your financial institution, and, and hopefully that's why high already, but let us do our job and, and try to make you financially successful. Okay. Like to thank my guest. I've been speaking with Matt Ballou, Chief Financial Officer at Waihai Federal Credit Union, about financial literacy. Thanks for calling in, Matt. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. AM six fifty KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. Coming up on the bottom of the hour, news and information break. Back on the other side with Greta Morrow talking about the day of giving in Cheyenne. That's coming up next month. Yeah, it's back this year. Actually, never went away. But we'll talk more with uh, Greta about that just ahead on AM six fifty KGAB. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station on the phone. I have Greta Morrow with a day of giving. Good afternoon, Greta. Hi there. How are you? Doing well. How about yourself? Well, I'm hanging in there. It's, uh, you know, it's been an interesting winter, but I'm glad, glad spring's coming eventually. Well, and on that note, you guys, uh, you, you didn't actually go away last year, but you're going to be back in your more uh, regular format this year. Is that right? Right. Well, last year... Um, we we didn't have the day of giving in May because with social distancing and and all the health requirements, we didn't want to put anybody at risk. So we had a virtual day of giving, which was supported wonderfully by the community. People donated funds to us. And we um, postponed our usual May event to last September 25th. And now, um, on May 14th, we're coming up on our regular 16th annual Cheyenne Day of Giving it's going to be a drive-through like it was last year, so it's going to be very easy for people to drive by and drop off donations, with the exceptions of all those who are going to volunteer to come in and give blood at the blood drive held by Vitalant that day um, inside the community house. But we're going to be sorting inside, not outside. The weather in May is a little iffier than it is in September. So we don't want to be sorting in the rain or anything like that. Now, Greta, I think most longtime residents are familiar with the Day of Giving, but I'm sure we probably have listeners who, who don't really know about it. What is it? What's the history behind it? What do you do? Okay, well, what we do is we bring the community together for one day and help people who are sick or in dire financial straits. And uh, the way we do that is we invite every part of the community that we can think of to come out that day and give in lots of different ways to help. Um, we ask for uh, food, personal care items, craft items, durable medical equipment and medical supplies, leftover prescription medications, used eyeglasses and hearing aids, used cell phones that all go to Safe House, so women at Safe House will always have a way to call 911. Um, we ask people to come out and give blood because that saves lives. And we teach people how to register and talk to them about being prospective bone marrow donors or organ and tissue donors. I received a bone marrow transplant 20 years ago, so I can talk about bone marrow, the importance of that, and 
another of our board members can talk about organ and tissue donation. Her granddaughter received um, a double lung transplant. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, and we help 17 area agencies. So it's a way to come out and in that one trip um, help any of 17 area agencies. We sort according to the wish list of organizations so they get exactly what they want. And it's a drive-through, so they just pull up curbside and put their donations. They have their donations in the back seat or in the trunk of the car, and we will thank them profusely and take it from there. Now, Greta, you sort of touched on this, but uh, to, to give a few more details here, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I have my facts wrong, but I don't think I do. Um, you found a day of giving because you were a cancer patient. Is that right? Yeah, well, I was. I guess I was a spark plug for it. it. It seemed like it was something that was just supposed to happen. I mean, um, I just had a feeling that it needed to happen. And I, back in 1995, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and chronic lymphocytic leukemia stage 4. I fought it until um, 1999, and finally I had to have a bone marrow transplant from an unrelated donor. And I survived that. I had about a 7% chance of surviving and having a normal life, so I'm very fortunate. And in my 30-year teaching career that I had before that, I had seen the struggles of the working poor of people who just do not have enough to be able to afford food and, and the basics of life. So I wanted, I wanted to do what I could to help people who were sick or in dire economic straits. And so um, I finally recovered from my bone marrow transplant in 2003, and in 2005, um, I helped, I helped uh, spearhead a blood drive and a bone marrow donor registration drive at my church, and in 2006, the Day of Giving was born in an email that I sent to the pastor, and by the time it was ended, it was the Day of Giving, and we were going to bring everybody together. So. First of all, congratulations on beating the odds on cancer. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yes, I don't think it was anything I did. I was way too sick. <laughs> but I'm very fortunate, yes. Now, you mentioned that you collect for 17 different organizations. Who are some of those organizations? Well, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, 60% of whose members, the ones that attend are called members, are come from very needy families. Um, Comia House. Uh, Family Promise of Cheyenne that houses homeless families with children. Uh, Frontier Lions Club is out there collecting used eyeglasses, cell phones, and hearing aids. Uh, Magic City, which serves developmentally disabled adults, needs um, major food pantry and place for clothing for people. Rocky Mountain Good Health Will, which collects durable medical equipment out there. Safe House, the shelter for abused women and children. St. Joseph's Food Pantry, another very important food pantry in town, Salvation Army, free lunches during the week and, and food boxes all the time, unaccompanied students initiative, uh, students who have no parent or guardian on site can live there and um, we support that, and Wyoming Coalition for the Homeless, also the Wyoming Medication Donation Program and by talent and uh, Donor Alliance and the Colorado Marrow Donor Program. 
So it's quite all of them. I hope that's not too long an answer. (laughs) No, not at all. That's what we asked for. It's one reason why we have a talk show, so people can go into detail. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, Greta, um, do you take donations only of goods or only of cash or both, or how does that work? Well, we we take the the day of giving is out there to take donations of good and goods and cash, and I'll tell you this: both are very important. The goods, all the goods that are donated that day, and last year, well, this past September, just in food and personal care items, the public got brought out over 21,000 pounds. Wow. And that's all sorted and delivered to the agencies by the end of the day. By the end of the day, you'd never know that that um, we had had a day of giving out there at the Kiwanis Community House. And the other stuff, like the durable medical equipment, last year, 392 pieces, that's all hauled off by good health will by the end of the day. So, And then the cash donations... Every penny of the cash donations that we receive goes back into helping people that are sick or in dire economic straits because we use that to make purchases to help the clients at agencies um, that receive the food, personal care items, and craft items. We buy lots of food. There's a huge need for food in town. We buy school shoes and proper school clothing for kids from homeless or abused families or others who can't afford it. Um, We buy um, bus passes and um, uh, for the homeless, uh, we buy, um, sometimes we pay for Magic City clients, we might pay for their dental care or one time we bought a a new uh, mattress, a bed set for a, a, a one of the clients that was in a, a dire situation and needed one right away. So it's if it's needed for the clients, not in the agency budget and not being donated by the public, we, we help those agencies with that. And um, so um, our unmet administrative and event expenses are covered by two annual pledges and um, everything else goes back into the community to help people. So those two pledges are already in and um, everything else is going to help people in need. Is there a greater need than there was say three years ago? Absolutely. (laughs) Tell us about that. I just talked to Need yesterday to get some details on that and um, they told me that they are seeing increasing requests, especially from w- people who are working, but they're the working poor. They have had their hours cut, or they've gone from a single income family, I mean a double income family to a single income family, or the wage earner has gotten sick, or um, uh, they've had, back in COVID times where there was more quarantining, they would have to quarantine and lose an entire paycheck. And they just cannot get by. And so um, uh, needs has seen a, a big increase in requests for help. And uh, we see that, we hear that same thing from many of the other agencies. And the ones who have not um, have like safe house has always been basically operating at approximately capacity 
but during COVID, they had to hire more personnel because people were on site more. They lost the opportunity to do their fundraising, and um, and then they had suffered grant cuts and things like that. So the need, you know, what I'm trying to say is sometimes the numbers have gone up, and sometimes um, the amount of help needed for a constant flow of clients has gone up. So yes, um, we have a wonderful community. If they know of a need, they come out and support it. And Day of Giving wants to help in all of those situations because it's not Day of Giving helping, it's the community coming out um, in their usual really generous way and doing everything they can to help our neighbors in need. And we have a lot of neighbors in need. So I, w- I would sort of infer then that although at least here in Wyoming it seems like we're on the right track in terms of recovering from the COVID pandemic, we're still in a pretty tough situation. Is that right? Well, it's see, I you know I I don't know a lot about that, but um, it seems like we are, and I understand from talking to people I know around the community um, that we still are being very careful about um, COVID. It it seems like we're making progress. But at, the, at this event, our volunteers are going to be wearing masks. So we're, and we're going to be very careful. I don't want people to worry about coming out there because, uh, you know, we're not, we're not observing health guidelines. We're doing everything we can. And um, the agencies, as far as the need, the agencies are still seeing that need now, whether it's from COVID or because... I think we're having an influx of people coming into the community, too. It sure seems like it from what I hear from real estate agents and everything. But I shouldn't speak to that because I don't know that for sure. Greta, here's a question from one of my listeners. Quote, if extra money is ever left over, does it go into the organization's savings account for times when needs are greater, or must it be given out within a certain time period? Oh, no, we don't say if it's... uh, uh, no, we don't like that. If you don't spend it now, you lose it. No. <laughs> we have an emergency fund specifically for emergencies. And if we have, we do not feel obligated to spend the money that that we have set aside. We do it by quarter. So when all of this is over and we, we see what kinds of financial donations we've received, we will set our budget and we will divide our yearly allotment by four, so we have a quarterly allotment. Mm-hmm. Um, last quarter, it was a little over $19,000, and part of that was because we had rolled money that we hadn't used from the previous quarter over to help in case we needed it. And um, so, no, we do not say we spend it or else. We, we are very careful. We try to stretch donor dollars as far as we can. Now, Does that pe- make sense? Sure. Now, if people are donating cash as opposed to goods, because if you're donating used eyeglasses, obviously, you kind of know where that's going to go. But let, let's assume somebody's donating cash, but they'd like to earmark it for a certain organization. Can they do that? Well, that would be pretty easy to do because we have um, the ones that we help help um, each quarter. We we go through and we say, okay, last, last quarter we had $19,000 and something. And so 
I have a spreadsheet and it says what percent of that total goes to each of the agencies and we do it kind of by size. So Family Promise is a smaller organization than, let's say, needs. Mm-hmm. So we allot a little less for them, but we, it's pretty fungible. If, if there's a huge need at Family Promise like there was at the beginning of the school year last year, we will find a way. We spent over $3,000 buying school clothes and school shoes for, for kids last year through Family Promise. But, um, but it, you know, that's how, that's how we do it. Now, what was that? There was a second part to that question. Well, what, what I was basically wondering is, is, let's say I give a cash donation, and let's say, uh, let's say I want to make sure it goes to Needs Incorporated, just theoretically. Could oh, I do okay. that? Could I do that? Yes, if they if I know about it, and I'm the one that that sort of um, that that uh, what do I call it? Allocates the, the agency. I'm co-chair of the agency purchases committee. That would be pretty easy to do. Uh, and if we can't, you know, if if several people have earmarked like needs, um, then that would be we would account for that as we go through the year and make sure that that we spend that money on for needs. So you can absolutely do that. Uh, it Yes, it should be pretty easy. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. I'm speaking with Greta Moore about the annual Day of Giving. That's coming up next month here in Cheyenne. And Greta, of course, cash is always something that's universally usable. But are there items that are especially needed this year for people who want to donate items? Well, you know, yeah, I think I can give you some good guidance on that, especially when we say food is the number one item. Okay. And I talked to Needs yesterday, and they told me that since January they've helped 3,352 separate households with food. That's a stunning statistic. But their top needs are canned chicken, peanut butter, soup, mac and cheese, hamburger helper, and jelly. And, of course, non-perishables are always the ideal donation. Yes, and then when people can't afford food, then what, you know, can you imagine if they have to choose between food and laundry detergent? Food's going to win out every time. Of course. So there's a huge need for hygiene items, and that includes laundry detergent. That's a hygiene item. And another hygiene item is packages of new underwear. So we've got food hygiene items like laundry detergent, deodorant, razors, shaving cream, toothbrush, toothpaste, dot, dot, dot. And then if they can't afford that, you know, they, they also, there are thousands of people, diapers to depends in our community who don't have underwear. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in the general sorting sense, those are the huge needs. Now, there's also a huge need for blood donation. And you you know, I told you I was a cancer survivor. Right. I wouldn't be alive today if when I needed platelets or blood so many times during those seven years of my cancer treatment and my bone marrow transplant, if it hadn't been available, I wouldn't have been able to live. Or if there's a big pileup on I-25 out here by the Torrington exit and several people have to go into surgery, that blood needs to be there. That literally saves lives. So if you want to talk about importance, I don't know how to say the most important because saving lives 
is super important. So the blood, bone marrow donor registration, organ and tissue donor reg registration, those are ways to give that don't cost any money and they save lives. As far as the items that we collect, um, I don't know how to rank what's important. If somebody needs a, a wheelchair and doesn't have insurance that covers it and can't afford it, then that's important. So do you know what I mean? Right. I, I wasn't really trying to get at most important, just what the largest numerical need is. Oh, okay. Well, the largest numerical need is food, and second to that is hygiene. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's it's... How can I put this? I think a lot of times people are hungry. They're not going around saying I'm hungry because there's a pride factor. Exactly. But there are people around us who are suffering and maybe we're not even aware of it. Uh, well, that's very true. That It's a hidden population. I have a 30-year teaching career under my belt. Mm -hmm. And I taught English at Central High School for 20 years. And I had students I know didn't have enough to eat. I had one student come in. Um, at, during lunch, I said they could always come in and talk to me. I was sitting in a student desk, and, you know, he came in and said, Mrs. Marlowe, I haven't had anything to eat since breakfast yesterday morning. Oh, well. well, I never would have guessed that, mm -hmm. and he was too proud to be on free and reduced, reduced lunch, I guess. But that's something I took care of right away. But we don't know that. And uh, I, I understand from talking to needs, and I'm sure other... That just happens to be where I was most recently. But... Um, Lots of times when people come in, it's very hard for them to ask for help. Right. They can't look at the uh, people that are, you know, making doing the paperwork. They're they're so uh, sad that it's come to that for them. Greta, so you're I, right. I, I'm not sure this directly pertains to day of giving, but somebody messaged it to me, so I'll ask the question: Are companies on call to repair items like a wheelchair wheel? to uh, receive, okay, are companies on call to repair items like a wheelchair will for those who need it? Um, Good Health Will um, has the ability to do that, but it would be nice if like right here in town, if there was a company that, that would be available to help um, on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, Good Health Will is based in um, Loveland, Greeley, and Brighton, and it is an amazing help for people in southern Wyoming. It helps people in northern Colorado and southern Wyoming. We don't really have... Um, the Senior Center has some, some um, durable medical equipment to lend out, but for uh, the huge need that we have, uh, Good Health Will is able to help with that as well, and it's a huge help, and, and they can fix... Um, the things that come to them um, that need to be fixed. I hope that answers the question. I think so. Uh, Greta, we're just about out of time. We have two minutes left. So again, refreshing for people tuning in. When is the day of giving and how can people donate? Okay, the day of giving is from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Kiwanis Community House in Lions Park. And it's easy to donate items this year because they put the items in their back seat or the trunk of their car pull up curbside at the community house. Volunteers will unload the items. They'll wear masks. Uh, thank the donors profusely and take it from there. And, and what's the date again? Friday, May 14th. 
So that's from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. We have a youth event if for kids that want to give uh, on Thursday, May 13th, from 3:30 to 6:30. And people can call me with any questions. My home number is six three five three nine four three. Greta, if somebody wants to donate but they can't do it on those dates, is there still a way they can donate? Uh, yeah, my garage is usually about half full by the time the day of giving <laughs> okay. comes. And I send a delivery truck out here to pick everything up. We also have drop-off locations um, around town, and uh, and those will be posted on our website. And I can, um, I wish I had it right in front of me, um, um, Avenue's Physical Therapy, Paramount Cafe, B&B Appliance, uh, Laramie County Chiropractic, Whispering Chase, uh, Remax Capital Properties. Oh, the trouble is, I think I'm leaving something out. Uh, that's uh, okay, because unfortunately we're out of time, but we will be doing some Facebook posts on this. So just just send us the information. We'll put that on our website. Oh, that'd be perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gretta. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. AM 650, KGAB, Cheyenne Orchard Valley. It's 1 o'clock. You've been listening to the Weekend in Wyoming program. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. We'll join you again next Saturday at 11 a.m.